This morning we begin a new sermon series. Uh, this sermon series is entitled To Live for Christ. We're going to have our banner here. Hopefully by Monday, we were expected to get it on Friday, then Saturday. Uh, just, uh, this Probably one of, that's always difficult to say, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Yes and no, I have so many favorite verses, but uh, I again heard these yesterday at my, uh, my, uh, my wife's aunt's funeral. Uh, uh, the preacher just talked about to live as Christ and to die as gain. Just, but just a really positive spin on life and a positive spin on death. Uh, we'll be preaching about that, Lord willing, next week. But just this whole idea of we were born for a purpose, and that purpose is to live for Christ. This, of course, is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Probably, I will say this, one of my favorite books in the New Testament. I can read it again and again and again. It's just always fresh. Now, the background of this uh, city of Philippi, some of you boys and girls hear of Alexander the Great in school, in history, Alexander the Great. His dad was the dad who founded the city in Philippi, just for point of information. And it was a Roman colony. It was hustling and bustling. It was uh, like a really important city in, 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 the, in the Roman colony. And that's probably why Paul went there, to plant a church. Uh, it's, it's a prison letter. Now, we don't think he was actually in prison, but he was under house arrest. But he was chained to a guard. He talks about being chained and how even that was advancing the gospel. So it's not that he, he can't, obviously, he's writing a letter to, to, the, to the, the church in Philippi that he planted, but he has some freedom to do that and the like until awaiting his trial. It's a love letter. Now, it's not the kind of love letter that we might necessarily write to someone that we're dating or the like, but it's a letter because he's talking to these people about 10 years prior to this letter that when he went to Philippi and he planted this church. Can you remember at least two of the people that would probably be members in this church from that 16? Anybody want to just shout it out there? There was a jailer called the Philippian jailer. Didn't have a name. We'll just call him Jailer Joe. And there was somebody else, a seller of purple, and her name was Lydia. So we know there were probably these two, maybe the slave girl, who, who um, Paul cast a demon out of. Probably a small church. Churches in the New Testament were kind of small. There were house churches. So it could have been 10 people, could have been 15, and, and maybe there were more. But Paul just had a great love affair with these people because he planted this church, as any church planter has, that they come to, to really love and, and pray for the church that they planted. And what he does, in the, as far as the contents are concerned, it's in this love letter, he says, listen, I, I want to write you for a number of reasons. One, I'm going to say thank you. Just thanks for, for being a partner in the gospel with me. And I'm going to send you words of encouragement. I'm going to send you words of appreciation. We find that throughout this book. And that's why I've chosen this kind of as my farewell series as I prepare to leave in August. I've never done a farewell series. Uh, but I just want to take an opportunity from this book to thank you in so many ways for the ministry that we have had together and we will continue to have for the next three or four months. Words of appreciation that I hope to bring over, over this series and also words of encouragement. That's what Paul wrote to his, the people that he loved here in Philippi and I hope to use these words as well to do the same. Uh, Philippians 1 verses 3 through 8 would normally be the first sermon I would have from this series, but I'm going to come back to that on August 13. That that's my, will be my last message here. Uh, that deals with words of thanks, of, of farewell. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, and I thought that fit best at the end. So we're going to come back to that. 
But this morning we're going to begin with chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, where Paul, um, well, he actually has a prayer. He says, to these people that I love, he says, let me share this prayer with you. And this is a prayer that I read this morning. These words from Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, and this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you consider yourself to be a loving person. Let's think about it for a moment. If you were to categorize yourself, am I a lovely person? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest. Now, you're probably not at a 10 yet. You shouldn't be anyway. But how far along on that scale are you if you say, well, yeah. In fact, I think if you'd ask my spouse or my friend, or my children, I think they might say I'm a seven, an eight. At least as I compare myself to other people, I, I think I'm a pretty loving person. I wrote about the congregation here at Community Church. I hear from any number of people who come to visit here, and when we ask them in, connections, in our Connections class, what brought you here? I think I've shared this before. You know, Kyle always wants to hear, well, of course, it's the music. And I'm sitting across the hall from him and saying, yeah, but I think it's the preaching. That's what we kind of want to hear, like we're helping to draw people in. But probably most of the time people say, you know, community church is just this loving, welcoming community. I've hardly ever walked into a church where I just felt loved and embraced and accepted. Is community church a loving church? Absolutely. A loving congregation. Now, being that, Paul says, listen, in, verses, uh, in verse 9, these words, he says, and this is my prayer, that your love, which you do have, let it abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. He says, listen, Paul says to his church in Philippi, it's not that you're not loving people already, you are. And I would say to you this morning, it's not that you're not a loving congregation, you are, and your reputation is known for that. It's not that... You're not a loving kind of people. But he says, listen, I need to pray for something. This is about spiritual growth. He says, I'm going to pray that your love will abound more and more. That, that Greek word used in their literature was uh, often used about a river that was overflowing at its banks. Uh, the closest I can come to that in my memory is and it must have been 15, 20 years ago, my last time to the Niagara Falls, if you, if you walk, you could, you're able to walk down and, and the, to this river, and it was just like crashing, flowing really hard and overflowing at it banks, kind of like this. It's powerful. Paul says, listen, this is what your love needs to be. It needs to be like a river that is overflowing at its banks. It's also used in Greek literature to explain a flower. Somebody said they thought about flowers with God. Not, not just a flower like my, my tulips, uh, well, before the cold came, the tulips were just starting to come out a little bit. They weren't quite in full bloom yet. 
right? Then we had this, all of a sudden after the 80 degree days, now my tulip said, no, nah, we're going to close up again. The Greeks used this word love to, to talk about flowers that were in full bloom. Just something beautiful to look at that everyone see. Paul says, listen, this is what I'm talking about. And this should, this should come to the mind of the, of, the, of the people in Philippi when they hear this word love. This is what I have in mind because it's the same word. Let your love be overflowing. Not just flowing, but overflowing at the banks. And may your love for each other as well be like a flower that is in full bloom. That people could see it and understand it. Part of his concern is that it's just too easy sometimes when, when we have a spiritual gift, a spiritual fruit, like which, which is what love is one of them. Isn't it kind of easy just to settle in and to say, well, I have that, that, that fruit of the Spirit, and I've arrived at a certain level, and it's greater than what it used to be, and, well, I know other people who might still have it a little better, but I understand that I haven't arrived at that, that perfect kind of love, but there should be kind of a level of love that I should be aspiring to. And our problem is sometimes we can settle in for where we're at as Christians. Whether it's love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, pick what that you want. We can kind of arrive at a place and we'll say, yeah, boy, looking five years back, I've made some progress. And sometimes stop there saying, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good loving husband right now. I'm a pretty good loving spouse right now. I'm a pretty good loving person right now, at least better than I was 10 years ago. And we get happy with that place where we're at. Paul says, listen, your love needs to abound more and more. You should never be satisfied with a level that you have attained as a Christian. Now, let me illustrate it in this way. How many know what this is? A picture of what? Who knows? Some, some boys and girls are raising their hands. What is it? Shout it out. Mario. Mario Brothers. I learned a lot about Mario Brothers this week. I've never played the game. How many of you play it still right now? Oh. oh. How many levels are there in Mario's? How many levels? Do you know that? Maybe I know something you don't, but I don't know. How many levels? One? Five? How about 32? Yeah, you knew it, didn't you? 32 levels. And here's the thing. As you kind of start to climb the ladder, the ladder and, and getting better and better at it, you can, you can arrive at a place, and maybe for some of you, it's still level one. Well, you're kind of happy, like, I can beat this thing now. I got it figured out. And I'm playing one over and over and over and over and over again. Because I learned how to win at one over and over and over again. And you settle in and you ease up saying, okay, I'm good. I can play Mario Brothers. I, I, I can get through level one easily. And you don't proceed to level two or 10 or 15 or up to 32. It's easy to become settled in. Paul says, that's what you can do sometimes with, with your love. Yeah, you're a loving person and you kind of settle into it. I said, I'm a pretty good loving person and I'm happy where I'm at. But you stay there and you stop progressing because you're satisfied with the love we are at. Or think about it in this way. How many have ever taken karate? Yeah, there's not a lot of karate people. Some have. Now, I think karate starts, what does it say? Is that a white belt? Is that what, do you get that automatically when you show up to the first day of class? Does anybody know? Or do you have to earn it? They give you a white belt right away. And so what's the next one? Yeah, let's see. Well, after some time in the class, you, 
you may have improved to such a degree that they give you a yellow belt. And now you, can, you don't do it. You, you go out with this kind of stuff, and, and it's like, wow, I've advanced. And you can become happy with that, stay at that level. Or you can go up to the next level, the next level, the next level, and you, you go to blue or orange or whatnot, and you stop. You say, yeah, but I'm pretty good at karate now. Yeah, but you could advance if you would like. You could go to a higher level. But you kind of just sink into where you're at and, and, and at ease with that. I always thought black belt was the highest. Now, this thing says that red is lower, but my recent article said red is actually the highest of the highest. It's the elite group. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, listen, when I talk about love and to, and to abound in love, I need you to, to go to become part of that elite group of Christians who know how to love better than anyone else. And it takes work. It takes work. But you keep at it. You keep growing in Christ. You keep being filled with the Holy Spirit who helps make you mature in Christ in every way. But Paul is saying simply to this, to flip on me to you this morning, listen, whatever level of love you are at, you got to go to the next level. Just get the next level in mind. You keep on, keep on growing in Christ. Never be satisfied with the level you're at when it comes to love. This is all part of becoming mature in Christ and being a mature Christian. You say, okay, Pastor Jim, you know what? I, I pretty much agree with you. I know I haven't arrived yet at that state of perfection, love that I'm this perfect person at loving. What more can I do? Or what more can, can here community church do? To, to get to that next level of love. What has to be done in order for me to move up to the next level? And Paul graciously answers that question for us in Philippians 1 verse 9 when he says, and this is more prayer that you may abound more and more in love. Okay, now we know that we need to do that. But how? Two things. Abounding in love in knowledge and abounding in love in depth of insight. You need a greater knowledge and then you need a greater depth of insight. First of all, a greater knowledge. And this simply is talking about uh, what love is. We're trying to define it. If we need to, to go in that direction and get more of it, we need to know exactly what it is. And, and right knowledge is important. <laughs> You've got to go to the right place to know what the right knowledge is. And that, of course, is the Word of God. And within the Word of God, if you want to start someplace, do you think it's important to have a knowledge of God, who God is, when it comes to love? And why would that be? Because the Bible tells us that God is love. Oh, equal. God is love. Love is God. So and when it comes to getting a greater knowledge of love, if I get into the scriptures and dig into the scriptures and get into a greater attaining a knowledge of God, it should then get me to the place that I'm also understanding what a greater knowledge of love is, right? Because if God is love, if I understand who God is, get a knowledge of God is, I will know what love is. That's a biblical truth. What does the Bible say about love in this way? Let me just share with you, first of all, that, that, that highest, we talked about elite, going to the elite level. There's an elite love that God has given to us in himself, and that's called agape love, right? Most of you have heard of that before. That's the highest form, the greatest form of love, Listen to what this is, and I share this, and I didn't have the author's name, but let me show you what he or she said. Agape love speaks of the most powerful, noblest type of love, sacrificial love. Agape love is more than a feeling. 
This is really important. Agape love is an act of the will. You choose to love in this way. You don't come to a point where you feel like loving in this way. It's kind of like forgiveness that way. You never feel like forgiving someone. It's a choice. So with love, the highest form of love, you choose to love someone, even when you don't feel like it. It's an act of the will. This is a love that God had for us and for his people that prompted him to sacrifice his only son, Jesus, for our sins. Jesus was agape love personified. A greater knowledge of love. It comes from getting a greater knowledge of God and understanding who he is. Paul would write to the church in Corinth to these words. Now we're trying to discern a knowledge of what love is. Listen to what Paul writes it is. And most of you are familiar with these. He says, you want to know what love is? It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily answered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love in this way never fails. Before a person can show and express love to somebody else, you've got to know what it is because you've got to make sure you're expressing the right kind of love, the agape kind of love. Paul says, first things first, this is my prayer for you, that you may abound more and more in knowledge. Get the right knowledge of love. You can go to psychology and the like and find out all kinds of other avenues of what love is. That's not where you go. You go to the Bible and you seek to understand what love is. Unconditional, sacrificial, selfless, undeserved. It's a giving love. It's the kind of love. Think about this, spouses. It's a kind of love where you give expecting nothing in return. It's so often, you know, we can kind of make deals with each other, us spouses, or put something on their onus or the like. No, agape love, that highest form of love, abounding in love is, I'm going to give myself to you in every way. And if you don't give me anything in return, that's the way it is. I'm not going to stop loving you. Agape love. Now, you start with the knowledge. He says, I pray that you may abound more and more in knowledge. But knowledge alone doesn't cut it. Can you imagine having a, a surgeon, having you on the operating table, or they're going to do a heart surgery, and they went through med school, but they didn't take any kind of practicum in it. So they have it up in their head how to, how to take care of your, your heart problems that they need to operate on. So they're going, to, they're going to step into your operating room and look down at you and say, oh, Ron, you just went through this recently. Yeah, okay, I'm going to do heart surgery. Yeah, can you tell me what experience you have? Oh, I graduated from med school. Have you ever done this before? No, I've never seen it done either, but I got the knowledge up here. How many of you said, let's go forward? Sounds good to me. You can do it with medicine. You can do it with your, your mechanic in a car, whatever it might be. You've got to have knowledge first. If you don't have the knowledge, you, you really can't proceed. He says, now that you have the knowledge of what love is, now he says, let's talk about the depth of insight. That is, how do you apply what you know to real-life relationships? I know what it is to love. Now I need to show how it's done. He says, abound more and more, and love also means a greater depth of insight in how love is expressed. Uh, depth of insight is really, uh, well, the right way to respond in love. We have the right knowledge. Now you need the right practice. This is how you do it. Uh, some of us... Uh, read this week or heard on the news that uh, 
Charles Stanley passed away, you know, just this wonderful man of God and preached God's word faithfully for so many years. There's another Charles that's kind of a big deal, and his name might be Charles Swindley. You've heard of Charles Swindley? I trust you have. What I really like about Charles Swindley is this, this, his whole ministry of insight for living. Charles Swindley is a big believer in, first of all, having the knowledge. You've got to have the knowledge of God. But he doesn't stop there. He's, he, he'll be known for throughout the ages of his depths of insight. He can go into a, a biblical passage, which students of the word have to do this all the time. You first of all go in and you get the knowledge, and then you have to apply it. Like we do whenever you hear a message as well, there should be application. Charles Swindley was such a, a, a master of taking the truth from Scripture, the knowledge of doctrine and the like, and applying it to real life. That's depth of insight. I just, uh, if you go into my office, it's, it's changed in the last month. I've, I've gotten ready already hundreds of books as I start to deplete my library. My, Kyle Beckrick actually took some of them last week home, which I was grateful for, but still left me about five books that I brought over to restore. So if you want some of my library, go over there and, and help us uh, restore up. Um, the thing about depth of insight is, this, again, it's so important. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have the depth of insight, you're missing something. Paul says, listen, now take what you know of what love is and apply it to your life as you seek to express it. There's this thing called uh, important to balance orthodoxy with orthopraxy. I saw this in one of our rooms. There was, must be a class here that talked about this. And I thought, that, that's perfectly. Orthodoxy is the knowledge. Orthopraxy is how to apply it. you got to have both together. You can't have one and, and, or just the other. They both go hand in hand as we seek to know what love is. I pray that you may abound more and more in love, in knowledge, more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Now, Paul says, listen, let me quickly give you a motivating factor of why you should go after this with every ounce of, of desire that you have and why it's something you should pursue. He says, listen, in, in, in verse 10, this is a purpose clause. Why should you go gain this knowledge and why should you go get this, this uh, depth of insight? So that you may be able to discern. We heard about that in one of our in songs we sang. That you may discern and may be pure and blameless until Christ returns. Uh, this whole idea of discernment, which of course is a spiritual gift, so that you may discern what is best. Discernment is so important when you need to make a decision in life. That's a very difficult decision that you need to make. We, we all, you all will, we all have, most have, if not, you will. You'll come to a point in your life where you're going through a time of difficulty, understanding something or, or something's going on in your life, something's going on with your family, something's going on with your friends, and you have to make a very difficult, difficult decision. And you've been praying to God about helping me make this decision. And, and, and you need some guidance in this thing called discernment. What can I do in this specific situation so that I make the best decision possible for what is best? Probably my, one of my favorite classes in seminary years ago was uh, basic Christian ethics. And what I appreciated most about that class was, was the question that the prof left us with. And he says, take this question with you for life. Because when you have to make decisions about not only what you know, but how you're going to practice it, you're going to have to use discernment. And he said, and this is what I'm going to share with you this morning, something that 
I would encourage you to do before you make any kind of difficult decision. He said, this is a question you should always ask, and it has to do with love. That's why it's so important to abound in it. He says, listen, when you have to make a difficult decision in life, only ask this one question. What is the most loving thing that I can do in this situation that will please God? What is the most loving thing that I can do? That doesn't mean it's going to be the, something that someone's going to like. Uh, if, it's, if it's a discipline in some matter, that's sometimes some of the most loving things that you can do. But what is the most loving thing that I can do in any situation in which God is going to be praised and glorified? That's ethics. What's the most loving thing? Discernment. So that until Christ returns, I can be pure and blameless. Because when Christ returns and we stand before him, uh, you, you just kind of want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, you're not perfect yet. Boy, you've really made good progress on earth, achieving that goal of spiritual maturity when it comes to love. He said, Pastor Jim, I'll find a dandy. But you know what? I, I don't think I have what it takes to be that kind of a loving person. I don't have it in me. And let me say, first of all, you're right. You don't. None of us do. If you had it in you, you wouldn't need Christ in you. None of us can attain and go to the next level of loving people in, in an abounding way in and of ourselves. That's why God sent Jesus. In fact, if you remember from our uh, series on the I Am's of Christ, and we talked about Jesus saying, I am the vine. He says, listen, when it comes to producing this level of love in you, you can't do it, but I can. That's why this last verse talks about the fruit of righteousness that is produced and comes through Jesus Christ. He, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He says, you want to go ahead and, and, and get more knowledge and you want to learn the depth of insight of what real love looks like in you and in a congregation? He says, listen, you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with that fruit of the Spirit. You say, Lord, there's even a song we sing from time to time. Lord, I want to be more loving in my heart. Well, you pray that prayer. And let the Holy Spirit fill you and say, Lord, I want to go to the next level. I'm a pretty loving person. I think a lot of people might say that about yourself. But I want to go to the next level. I want to learn to love people like you loved people when Jesus was here in you personally. I want to arrive at that point in my life where I'm loving people in the way Jesus loved me as well. You see, remember, we don't produce that kind of love, right? The Holy Spirit does. We bear that fruit. We carry that fruit of being loving. And he says, all to the praise and the glory of God. Paul challenged the, this church in Philippi, as I challenge you this morning, as you continue to grow in Christ as a congregation, that you too would want to, to, to bring all the praise and all the glory to God as a congregation, as you have been. And with the idea as well, that, that, that one way, it's just to say, Lord, we want to abound more and more in love. We want to go to the next level and to the next level until we arrive at that place where, where, where before you we are elite loving people in a class. That's what elite is all by themselves. I want to love people more and more. To that end, these are things that need to be done. I just There are so many more to add. You can fill in your own blanks, but... If we want to become the, kind, become the kind of congregation and the kind of people that God wants us to be in love, he says, this is how you get to the next level. Are you ready? 
less rudeness, more kindness. Less being judgmental, more acceptance. Less discouraging, more encouraging. Less self-centered, more others-centered. Less, this is what I want, more what do others want. Less being divisive, more being united in the faith we have in the love of Christ. Less conditional love, yeah, I'll love you, but more unconditional love. I'll love you no matter what. It's a giving love, it's expecting nothing in return. Less disagreement over trivial matters. Do you realize there are churches that have split because of the color of the carpet? Have you heard those stories? Read the, uh, read the, uh, the, the minutes of, of CRCU churches back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the like. Uh, you'll be amazed at what people split over. Less disagreement, more agreement. And this is a big one. Less unforgiveness and more forgiveness. God wants his churches, whether it's Philippi or here at Community, to be the kind of churches uh, that, that, that abound in love like a river overflowing at its banks. Like a flower that is in full bloom, so beautiful to be seen. All for the glory of God the Father, all for the glory of God the Son, and all for the glory of the Holy Spirit. Paul was challenging his church as I challenge you as you continue to go forward. Let you be known by your love. That the greatest of these is love. Let you be known by your love until the day Christ indeed returns. May your love abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge. It's, it's so difficult at times to love in the way that we're supposed to love because it's so easy for us. As, as we sang, it's so easy to prone to wonder on ourselves and focus only on ourselves <clears throat> and on our self-love. Help us to love in the way that you loved us. This, this, this giving love, this sacrificial love, this unconditional love, this never-ending love that's loving us no matter what. Grow us in Christ to that end. So that when people come here and people become a part of us or when we go out into the community, to our jobs, to our places of employment, in our leisure, that people might say there's something different about community church. And there's something different about you. You just seem to love no matter what. Father, bring us to that end so that you too may continue to be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name, everyone say, amen.